Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast. I'm your host, Camry Widmer, and with us today is Cody Jacobs from Wide Open Customs Leather Designs. He is also a rodeo judge, a past contestant, a father, and a good human being who has all kinds of insight and experiences to share with us today. So I hope you enjoy listening to everything he has to offer. We'll start by having you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Cody. I have a leather shop. And actually, I just moved down to Hurricane, Utah. What's your leather shop called? Wide Open Customs. How did you how'd you get into that, making leather? My dad always had a job when I was little, and then uh, kind of did stuff here and there. And then my great-grandpa was a saddle builder, and my grandpa had a shoe shop. So we've always been in the leather business. And then I helped eat. I helped my dad design a belt for me and helped him build it for me when I was 10, and then I was hooked after that. That's kind of cool that it's a family thing. Yeah. So what stuff do you primarily make? Everything from belts, shafts, gun holsters, saddle, anything that needs to be built with leather. There's been some weird requests that I do. I can so only I imagine. Anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know when I started the Performance Pony Company and I was looking up different leather stuff online and trying to find different companies, some of the things I'd stumble upon, I was like, mm, nope, exit out of that one. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, some, exactly. there's some interesting stuff there. What's your favorite thing yeah. to make? I really like the design and everything. Like as simple as it is as belts, but trying to fit as much detail and to the customer in, in a small space. Because it's worn every day. Yeah, I saw some of the um, the rope can holders that you did too, or rope can lids. Those are super yeah. cool. Yeah, those are fun as well. One of these days, I'm going to get me a fancy one. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to having and creating leather, like what's what are some of the tricks and tools that people don't realize Like that goes into tooling and having the right kind of leather and like I personally don't know much of the process at all so what are some there's a lot of process yeah yeah can you tell us a little bit about that the thing about leather is it's almost like it's uh, living in the sense that it can be stretched and molded and built into anything like the most universal material there is Mm -hmm. and durable so it's one of those things, like like when I do a gun holster, like I'll form the leather around it, and it holds it just as if you're holding it in your hand. Hmm. Or you can't do that with codex and that kind of thing. You get you know get it wet, and then the tooling process. There's a point when it's too wet or too dry that it doesn't take the tooling. So you have to you have a happy medium that you find, and everybody has their own amount that they like, and and the look that you're getting, you're trying to get or bring out of the leather. Mm-hmm. It's all on fill, so it's it's everybody has their own processes, but in in sense it's all the same way, but it's how you do it. Right, everybody just comes up with their own method, just like anything. You can learn yeah. learn something from everybody, and at the end, you still just have to make it your own. Yep, and that's that's one of the books I've been reading about. It's called Still Like an Artist, and it makes me think, like especially in the rodeo. I've went to many schools, you know, roping, steer wrestling, and all that, and you take little parts from somebody on how to swing and somebody else on how to throw, or this technique in the leather might work for this guy, and part of it works for you. So it's taking pieces from everybody and building your own way of doing things in life. Yeah, so do you just, do you take stuff to shows to sell, or do you mostly just, people send you messages and and order directly from you, or what all, what all do you offer? I worked for a couple companies where we went to shows and did that thing, and there's just a lot of overhead, mm-hmm. and uh, now I just, everything's built custom to what they want, so I really don't have any stock, like I'll build a few things that are stock, but for the most part it's strictly your ideas and i just go with it that's got to be fun include custom yeah i used to build cowboy hats too Mm -hmm. that was just almost monotonous you know like there's not a lot to do with the different cowboy hats right 
everything's been done in a sense, or else you just get more and more. So with the leather, you can tweak it here and there, put leather on something that you've never thought. Like I covered a AR gun for a guy. I covered the whole barrel and everything in leather because they didn't think it could be done. Yeah? That'd be kind of neat. You know, just like put, putting on leather on whatever I can that they have an idea. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll build it out of leather and see if I can make it better than, than the, a different kind of material. Yeah. And I know my mom, she makes horsehair pottery. And it's, yeah, it's really cool stuff and it's super unique. She used to be a potter before I was ever born. And then life happened, things changed, and she quit making pottery. And she just got back into it like probably two years ago now. And she's had, you know, she's made it to where she's at an age that she's kind of in retirement mode a little bit. And she's made this horsehair pottery to where people can make requests on, you know, words that they want or certain sizes or shapes of pottery. But yet she keeps it to where every piece is unique. You know, she's not going to let she's not going to let somebody come in and say, well, I want this exactly like this. And like, that's just not how it works for her. And it kind of sounds like with your leather work, I mean, you want to work with the customer and make sure that it's a unique piece to them. But then there's also the unique twists and turns that you get to put on it just from your experience exactly. yeah and the, the thing i love about the leather with that is it's, it can be handed down because it lasts for generations mm-hmm. you know it's like how many kids are riding their grandpa's saddle yeah still in perfect condition you know like that's the cool thing about leather is making pieces that last and for generations right now i have a belt that um we found when we were cleaning out my grandparents' house, and it says, um, says Dad Connor in it, which would have been my grandpa's dad's belt that fits me, and I love it. It's my favorite belt, and it's just, it has so much sentimental value to it, and it's broken, just perfect, you know? I mean, it's Absolutely. probably 120 years old, so. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, but it, I, stuff I, like that's I'll cool. Stores, I'll buy, I'll pick up old, leather stuff that I just have hanging in my shop that you know like inspire me for one but they're just so cool like I'd love to hear the stories of where it came from what it's been through yeah yeah those things really do inspire you that's you back to the horsehair pottery thing too that's things that my mom you know she's they're mementos for people to look back and say you know life was really good with this horse or in this situation and yeah Yeah. I built a few belts for like guys that made the finals for the first time you know so it's like Every time they see that belt, it's about finishing that goal, you know, like things like that. Yeah, that's a really cool thing to offer. If there was a kid or even an adult or somebody who wanted to start getting into making leather, not I guess you don't make leather, but working with leather, um, what would you, where would you recommend they start? I mean, you had to start with your family and, you know, we're all fortunate when, when we get to have somebody kind of pave the way and and introduce us to it but if somebody's new that doesn't have that where do they where do they begin the first thing i'd say don't worry about messing it up the first couple times because it's not going to be pretty it's not going to be what you have imagined but it's all about learning the feel so if you had a few essential tools like a a good mallet to tool with if that's what you're going to do or if you're just going to build something with no tooling just get the right piece and if you go to Tandy and talk to the people they know what kind of leather is good for whatever you're going to build mm-hmm. but don't worry about messing it up the first couple times I because think... once you cut the leather you can't just add to it you know like other materials right. like my mom she builds dresses and sew and all that and she, you know if she misses a stitch here or there you can't see it in fabric but if I run a bad stitch I gotta start the whole thing over again yeah so just kind of expect to, to mess it up the first few times. Yeah, just, you know, like, look at it, chalk it up as a learning process and getting the feel and your technique. Because so many people get mad the first time that you did something wrong. Or, and honestly, if there's something off and you know it, that makes it almost unique that it is a custom one-off. Because mm-hmm. it has one stamp that's, that's turned sideways or off just a little bit but you know that's yours and then you just improve on that yeah so that would be the biggest it's just look at the learning process first couple 
things you're going to do and get the feel and just like catching the football or throwing a rope like it all looks horrible the first time yeah yeah and it's the slight imperfections that make us unique I mean in, in every way and in everything we do and it's those are the things that we learn from and just like we said before you know you make your own style and everything and what you might think yeah. is a total flaw somebody else might think is pretty cool I have a belt that I did I wanted to try some new uh dies on it and it took kind of weird and it's on an oak leaf pattern so when i dyed it the tops went kind of orange and then has the leather color underneath it was really like weird but once i got it all finished it actually looked like autumn leaves now like it turned out to be one of the prettiest colors and stuff like that and when in the process i thought i'd screwed it up yeah biggest life and it turned out to be just like right there's no way i could read do it that way right yeah sometimes the that add in the way it took and all that stuff it just it, it, that, like you said you just look into it as that's unique i don't know if i could ever build it again that way right yeah sometimes when you think things are just falling apart and it's not gonna work that's when they turn out really cool yeah yeah are there any books or videos or anything like that that you have seen that are really helpful when you're getting started and learning new stuff? Um, one book I'm reading right now that I have a, I don't know if you'd say I don't spend as much time on it, is showing my work. And that could be, the book is called Show Your Work by Austin Kellen. But it's talking about going through the process and like putting stuff out there, putting yourself out in the world. Like, yeah. Even if you're even if you're just learning how to stir wrestle per se, and you show your ex and you show your progress, everybody wants to show the highlight reel, you know? Mm-hmm. And more people are interested in how how you got there than just showing good runs every time. You know? Yeah. Show everything. So that really kind of opened my mind up This reading this book. It's like, I don't do that. So if I just put up the finished work, mm-hmm. or that's what people see, that kind of thing so that book really kind of like yeah you, you need to let people know about your process of learning and you could be inspiring somebody and not even know it right yeah I think that's that's really good advice to put it out there I know that's one thing just with this move to Texas in the last couple of weeks it's you know my goal is to get out in front of people and I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to say or where I'm going to go or how this is all going to work out, but I just knew that I had to get out in the world in order for for any of this to take off. And so it's it's scary to do it sometimes, and it's not, you know, it definitely puts you outside of your comfort zone. I feel like there are very few people in the world who are, and I'm not a shy person, and I'll talk to anybody, but still putting something that I've worked hard on and something that I love and, and then putting it out there in the world for people to possibly criticize, like they might love it, but they might hate it. And you just don't know. And it's easy to want to hole up and be like, Oh, I don't know if I want to talk to that person, but that might be your best customer. Yeah. It's almost like you built it yourself. Yep. For other people. Yep. Be, you know, just let it be what it is. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. It's just like how many things I've messed up or like the, even the other day I was making a belt and I had my stitch too tight and it tore through the whole belt. So I had to redo a $500 belt again. But it's yeah. like just shaking it off and like, okay, I learned that my machine was too tight, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is like people don't understand the the failures is what makes better. If you just started off and you knew 100%, you wouldn't have the process of how to run a business, how to practice right if you didn't make those mistakes. Right, right. So you're a team roper and a steer wrestler as well. Is that correct? Yep. And do you yeah. still compete in both of those? I've slowed down a lot because I started judging a lot more rodeos now. Yeah. Because I had to get both my knees redone. So. Oh, after years of steer wrestling, they kind of take toll on me. So I only run a few steers a year, and then I, I judge a lot of rodeos. Yeah, how do you like the judging? I love it. It's so fun to see because I do juniors, like fifth and under, fifth grade and under rodeos, junior high, high school, 
amateur rodeos and then like some of the senior pro rodeos. So I get to see the whole aspect of it and see these kids mature in their event, let alone, you know, in life. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. What are some of the things that you've seen as a judge that, that just strike your attention, like with these kids and um, even adults, what are things that when you're talking to people are like, yeah, I didn't realize this about judging or I've learned this since, since I started. There's a lot of things that little things, cause I'm, I mostly ran on the time event end. Mm-hmm. I didn't spend much time rough stock in. So, you know, I knew the rules, I knew that, but to sit and watch a saddle bronc ride and break it down, like I really had to learn that. And the coolest part is watching everybody help everybody where the rodeo's family is literally a family mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're winning and, and you turn around and give your best and you're roped to another kid to get on the steer that might beat you like and dads that jump in and help kids here and there or a horse that won't get in in the barrels just some random dad will help you know lead him in or get four or five that won't come in so you can get him behind him pushing a horse in for a girl to compete that really doesn't know what she's doing yeah the family part is just amazing and the support that everybody has for each other yeah it's pretty awesome it's definitely yeah i mean i guess i haven't i've played other sports when i was in high school and in junior high but it you know and i i guess i can't say that i know firsthand because i've never competed at a professional level in another sport or even at an amateur level outside of high school or junior high but I yeah. you hear it through and through over and over again that it's just it's unique it's different it's you know we have a different culture um, in the rodeo yeah. world than in others. Like my boy plays baseball as well, and there it's just you know you don't talk to the other team's family like when you go sit there and it's so different than sitting at a rodeo and being there with your friends and everybody's cheering for everybody mm-hmm. helping out where they can. And then you go to like a baseball game and it's like you guys sit on complete side, other side, you don't talk to each other. Yeah. But, you know, it's just total different atmosphere. It's kind of like you just sit on your hands and watch the game. Whereas at a rodeo, you're trying to figure out how can I help? Like what, what can I do? So I'm not bored. (laughs) That's how my parents always were anyway. It's like, if we're going to be here, we might as well help because it's hot and we don't have anything else to do. (laughs) Yeah. The day's going to go a lot faster parents standing up and they're helping some kid with just a little bit of technique to help him this way or that way there was, there was one time a kid he couldn't get his bulldog and horse in the back corner and there's a time limit and the one kid just came running right up and said just get on mine and made a run and he ended up like placing in the rodeo mm-hmm. and that kid just offered his horse he'd never been on him he never they don't they live on opposite ends of the state you know mm-hmm. I just thought that that was so awesome and big of that kid to be like, just get on him and make your own like. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Is there anything that you see, you know, from, there's a lot of, it seems like people talk about generational differences um, quite a bit. Is there anything that you see that you feel like as a judge that you would like to see less of or more of or something that you would like to bring to attention that maybe people don't even realize that they're doing? Especially judging, and like, I don't even know how, why or how, but it's like, in general, kids think they're more entitled, so they they might completely be have a bad run and they get flagged out, and then they look for any excuse to try and get another run or bring up some kind of bad something on somebody else, you know, so that they, I don't know if they feel better about themselves or make them look better. Mm-hmm. When we get complaints like that, you know, somebody's this or that, it's like, just do your part and let the chips fall. But it seems like back when I was in high school rodeo and stuff, nobody had all the complaints and the nitpicky stuff, even the parents bringing up, which are rules and they can be addressed, but you also have to know the rules because people come and say, you know, like a, there's a five second penalty in the hat in the barrels in the poles if your hat comes off before the gate mm-hmm. and so the pairs well i didn't know that but it's in the rule book 
Yes. You know, if you didn't read the rule book, it's not my fault. Right. You don't know that. Yeah. So, like simple things like that, that people like just know where you're coming from when you want to complain or throw somebody under the bus or get something like that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It just seems like more people are more boisterous about. The, yeah. People jump to conclusions before they know yeah. the facts. And one thing that I've learned a lot, and and I've learned it the hard way, and I've always tried to have a good attitude about it, but we were at a at a rodeo in Tarkio, Missouri one weekend, and I was roping calves, and I didn't think I was up next, but I, or I knew I was up next, but they, they called somebody else's name, so they walked into the box, and I was 90% sure that that was my calf in the shoot. Um but it wasn't my play. I was far enough away and everything was happening fast enough that the kid that was the, the name that they called ended up running my calf and he would have won the rodeo, but he got disqualified because he ran the wrong calf. And the mom wanted to say, well, that's the judge's responsibility. Like they should have, you know, she, she kind of wanted to, to get mad at first. And I mean, she was, She's a really good mom, and she understands, you know, she's a rodeo mom, has been around it forever. And, and once we got the rule book out and talked about it, she was fine. But it's, you know, as a contestant, it is your responsibility to know when you're up, what your calf is, and it's not the announcer's responsibility. The announcer doesn't know when things get changed or when things go wrong. They're just trying to do their job to entertain. And the judge, you know, it is, as a judge, I feel like it's important for the judge to ask questions but it's also more important for you as the contestant to ask the judge is that my calf you know can you please check the ear tag again yeah most associations in their rules say it's the contestant's responsibility to rope the right calf Mm -hmm. and for the parents you know it's their responsibility to teach the kids what's in the rule book as well you know there's some kids that are just young and don't know and the, the parents need to take their responsibility to say, well, I didn't teach them either. You know, I didn't look. We didn't, you know, to just take responsibility for when things go wrong. Absolutely. It's one of those chalk it up as a learning experience if something happened that way. Yes. You know, same, same thing. Just like, okay, I'll never get turned out again because I wasn't, you know, I didn't notify or something happened and I got turned out. Right. Chalking it up to experience goes, you know, sometimes you get a good flag and sometimes you get a bad flag because, you know, judges are human. Yeah. And I'm sure you experience that. You know all about it firsthand. Right. Yep. The funny, the coolest thing I think still with rodeo, because you look at any other sport, is there's still a human aspect in every aspect of, the, of rodeo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, from opening the gate to riding your horse to the cattle to the flag, to the timers that are stopping the time, every part of it is still human error. There could be human error. Mm-hmm. So many other sports is, is uh, you know, videos and computers and all this stuff. Instant replays. So <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Those things, like, as a judge, in the in most events, I'm consistently, which is a big part, consistently, like a late flag so I know everything's clear like say the breakaway I make sure it breaks off mm-hmm. we I get you know any judge gets just as excited like last weekend we were in Cedar City and there was four or five girls roped in, in the breakaway in, in once we had one seven one eight one nine you know mm-hmm. so it's, I get just as excited for those kids that rope that fast and awesome but I gotta stay consistent and make sure it breaks off because the next day there was one that her uh, coil fell over her horn. The guy flagged her thinking that it was going to be fast like that, and it never broke off. Yeah. And that's just, so, I mean, there's nothing that the kid can, the judge dropped the flag, and that is that is what it is at that point yeah. in time, right? Yep. It's just luck of the draw that day, and the next day, that might not yeah. happen, and they think it happens. Exactly. It all works out, man. You, you for every five yeah I think it's kind of a law of averages you win some you lose some but in the end you know you're gonna get just as many good flags as bad flags Everybody sees stuff different, you know? yes when it comes to different things like 
like the rough stock that one guy might really look at for this, one guy might really watch for that. Yeah, well, and I think it probably makes a difference to, like, your background. You know, your background's in timed events, so you might look a little bit more, you might be a little more picky about things because you know you know what you're looking for versus t- yep. the other end of the arena where it's just not as natural for you to, to know everything about it. And that's the thing, I've become a student and a, a fan of the rough stock even more and watching the NFR that kind of thing that I've become more of a fan of the rough stock knowing that end now mm-hmm. you know and, and study it where I didn't before like when I was competing I just did my thing and went on to the next one mm-hmm. that's one thing that I've learned a lot too just especially over the last year I got to know Brady Birmingham a little bit and you know he's he's a rough stock guy he you know he's got all those horses and everything and you know, to learn how much, just how much those people appreciate it and the athletes that the animals are, the athletes that the competitors are. I think that's one thing in rodeo and in the industry as a whole. Um, I mean, it's an awesome industry, but in order to continue making it even better, we have to appreciate every event. If I'm a calf roper or a breakaway roper or a barrel racer, it's still important to appreciate you know, the saddle bronc and the bull riding. And, you know, I used to just turn around and walk away during the bull riding because it's just not my thing. But rodeo is my thing. And in order for it to continue being a really good sport, we need to understand all aspects of it. We don't have to love it. We don't have to compete in it. But we do need to appreciate it and support the people who who raise the bulls, the horses, the calves, the steers, the people that compete, and then the people that come watch it. Because if we don't appreciate the people who come watch it and do our best as a collective group to make it as good of an event as possible, then those people are going to quit coming and they're going to quit having rodeos. <laughs> Absolutely. Even like here in the high school rodeo, we have almost 140 barrel racers. Oh, wow. So, you know, to sit through that, but in in all aspects, that's what pays the bills is that many barrel mm-hmm. racers. That's how they buy the prizes. That's yeah. how they afford the rodeo is them and everybody's complaining about it but it's one of those things it's like if you didn't have them you wouldn't have as good a rodeo as you're having right so you need to just embrace it you know yeah if, if you walk away during the barrel racing then you've got three hours to go get ready to do your other event or if you're committed to the barrel racing then you you sit there and you watch them and see what the times are and you know help when it is your rodeo you're helping set barrels or get people in or whatever it is Mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people don't understand is that's what that's what's buying your prizes and your money and everything that that brings into those big rodeos like that uh, my parents have an indoor arena in Iowa and they used to do family rodeos and uh, we've done some clinics and stuff and you really gain a new appreciation for what goes into a rodeo when you're on the opposite side of it and I think oh, yeah. That's one thing that I've talked to some other people about putting together presentation. I think that there's a lot of people who they just lack knowledge. It's not that they're distra- they're not purposely disrespectful. They're not. I mean, people don't aren't rude on purpose. But I think there's just a lack of knowledge of what does go into it and how much money it does cost and and how it all pans out in the end to have those really cool wards and belt buckles and saddles. And I think it's everybody's responsibility as parents, committee members, you know, to, to under, try to do their best to understand the whole realm of what makes it tick. Even just being like a judge, we show up four hours early before the rodeo starts to set barriers, go through all the cattle, make sure they're healthy, safe, and then do all the draw and everything, and then do the rodeo. You know, we're, we beat everybody there just to get set up, and then we're there after tearing things down, and we're there for the whole rodeo, where a lot of people, you know, come into their event and hang out and then then roll on. Mm-hmm. But they, they don't understand the committee that they've been there two days before us getting everything ready, if not three. Right. And the months of planning and everything else that, that goes with the rodeo. There's just a lot to it, and... You know, I think I think the majority of people appreciate it and respect it and and do their best to understand it. But I do think that there's 
you know, always, always room for learning and improvement and, you know, working together even more than, than what we already do as a rodeo family. Absolutely. For sure. And how much, how much does that rodeo secretary really has to do and deal with? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can understand why they get a little snappy from time to time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's two o'clock in the morning and you're wondering about this or wanting that or something, then they've got, they're going to be there another two hours just putting in times and stuff. Yeah, and with the rodeo secretary, if they make one little mistake, you know, when it comes to dollar-wise, man, that can be a huge headache, and nobody makes those mistakes on purpose, and I think while they figure it out, we have to remember to be patient because we don't want to do that job. <laughs> For sure. So do your kids, um, do they compete much in the in rodeo? So my oldest is nine, and we just moved where I don't have any horses down here yet. So, but he he ropes and that, and he's ropes a few steers and that, but he's been focused on baseball. I gotcha. He's kind of in between. He's, he's, he's a bigger kid, so he's kind of too big for the steers that they ride in his age division. But he's not old enough to rope and, and like, shoot dogs and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. he, he really loves the rodeo. He rides the couch like a bareback horse every day, and then he throws our dummy like a bulldog steer. He runs like 300 head a day like that. Oh, cool. And then my middle boy, he's really into boxing. Okay. Yeah. And the funny thing is he's, he's just as athletic and stuff as my oldest boy and almost better when it comes to everything. He just has a natural ability mm-hmm. in any kind of athletic thing he wants to do. So I think it would just be a matter of time where he finds what he wants to do. As a dad who has kids that, that compete, what are things like some of the challenges and, and things that you've seen that maybe other dads struggle with too? I think a lot now is getting kids to practice consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, you might get them out there once a week and then they've got so much going on, but it just depends on the level you want to be at. So if it's one of those things that your focus is to be a state champ or whatever, you need to have a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you can get burned out, you know, about um, practicing every day, that kind of thing. But if you find the right balance for your kids, that they can be efficient but productive, I think that's, that's a key. Is there anything, is there a certain schedule that you guys have or things that you practice or do you sit down with your boys and, and come up with that plan together? Yeah, we do. My boy really wanted to... Last year, and he's or two years ago, and he was seven. Like, like I go to the gym every morning at five before he gets going, and then I be back with my wife and stuff. So they see me go, and I'm consistent on that. So they work out. He sat down and made up his own workout schedule. He practiced running to the goat. Like he would run ten sprints, and then he would tie it, you know, twenty times. And then he would practice getting up on horse. Like he he built his whole training program at mm-hmm. seven I, I thought it was awesome that is so, cool so we'll do that and we, and we talk about health and nutrition and stuff with them so you know they know to eat good and stay focused mentally because you know you need a lot of dumb stuff candy and bad stuff like you're not as clear-minded mm-hmm. and so when they get home before we start homework or anything we wrote the dummy like 50 times Yeah. What are things that stand out to them in this in this industry that that just really excites them, one way or the other? My oldest, he, he's excited about every aspect of rodeo. I'll take him with me, and he loves just running the cows up and down. And he'll and he'll come set the poles for me for 120 pole benders, you know. And he can't hardly get anybody out there to set poles that much. Uh huh. So like every aspect of it, he. My middle boy, he he doesn't care at all. And then, yeah. he'll, then he'll want to get on the steer, and then, then his butterflies hit, and he didn't want to do it. Ah. So, like, it's definitely, I think, every everybody, every kid is an individual. So, like, I don't push them to do anything that they don't want to, but if they're going to do it, they're going to, you know, strive to be the best at it. Right. Yeah. So, I don't if it's 
ballet, if it's baseball, if it's rodeo, if it's doing their homework or drawing. Like they like to I, with my leather, I, I draw all my patterns and everything, and so they like to sit down and draw me pictures that they want to put into leather. Yeah, and understand that you know they understand the whole shop, so. I might bring a belt in the house and we'll watch a movie together and I'll be drawing it and they'll be drawn right with me and I'll tell them this or that, you know, so they get designed or tell me your ideas, mm-hmm. what you want to do. So I don't know, every kid is individual and I think it's as, as a parent, if you learn that, they're, they're happier and you guys get along better. Well, and I think it's really cool. It sounds like with everything that they are involved in whether it is rodeo or you know drawing for leather patterns or um, boxing or baseball you're helping them understand that it's a process and that yeah. it takes more than just picking up your baseball bat and going out and hitting that it, it does take yeah. the nutrition and it does take working out and it does take you know figuring out different strategies and um, I think that's awesome sometimes I see Again, just people don't realize how much goes into it. And I feel like some kids get pretty discouraged because they get out there to perform in front of people and they've they've been going around the barrels on their pony or, you know, if they're younger kids or no matter what age they are, they've been going around the barrels, but they just don't understand how much actually goes into turning a barrel. I think that's really cool that, you know, you're you're sitting back with them and explaining the process from the ground up because that's where it starts is at the ground. Yeah, and that, and they're really young, you know, so I can't wait to see what they want to do. But yeah. that's our thing in our house is do the work first. That's our biggest motto, I guess. You know, we can all play and do things as soon as the work's done. Yeah. You get the work done, you can get it done. The faster you do it, or the sooner you do it, then you can have fun. Yep. We've always been in a, my family's always been a work hard, play hard family. I mean. Yeah, absolutely work as hard as you possibly can and get as much as you can done and and you don't stop until you're until the job's complete but then once the job's done it's okay to just put it to rest and have a good time absolutely what are things for you as a competitor and, and even things that you maybe tell your boys before they're going to compete what are some things that you think about mentally the finish it's just like, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but I think it was Joe Montana. They asked him how many Super Bowls he'd won. And he mm-hmm. said, too many to count. And what he meant was, every in his backyard, throwing the football, was winning the Super Bowl, like with his brothers and practicing is winning the Super Bowl. So mentally, he's, he's already won it. So if it's spear wrestling, like I've already seen it and visualized my run on this steer. And things happen that, you know, it doesn't happen exactly. But 80% of the time, if you visualize it, it's going to happen the way that you already did it. Mm-hmm. Or most everything is 80% mental and 20% physical. Yeah, I if agree we, with that. Know, just like in the saddle bronc, somebody looks off at the ground, that's where they're headed. Mm-hmm. You stay in the middle of the horse and keep spurning because you've already mentally rode this horse like that, you're going to finish your ride. Yeah. When I was in high school, um, I was a big goat tire. That was my thing. And, and I struggled. I didn't start tying goats until a month before my first high school rodeo. I decided I wanted to do it. And my dad said, well, I'll take you to these rodeos. But he said, you're going to be more than just a barrel racer. So I had to learn how to tie a goat. And by the time my junior year rolled around, I made a goal to make it to the high school finals. And um, I had a lot of things go wrong. And I was just struggling mentally, and I knew it was all mental because everything else would go right, and it'd just be one little thing every time that just went into shambles. And so we started – my mom would hold the goats for me, and we went through just in the practice pen on the ground. We would go through every single run of the year, every time I practiced. I would close my eyes. I would – I would visualize like what number I was, what the goat was going to do, um, what the fastest time was, what I had to be. And, and I learned how to like separate times, especially that was one thing that I was focusing on way too much. I was trying to be, well, that girl was a seven flat. I got to be, you know, or she was an eight flat. I got to be a seven, nine. And, and as soon as I learned, maybe, maybe you had a 10 second goat. 
Right. Yeah. And once I learned that that's completely out of my control, what anybody else does is out of my control. All I can do is focus on, you know, one run at a time. And if, if I can put myself in that position visually, like you said, and, and I can go win that rodeo in my backyard over and over and over and over and over again, once I get to that rodeo, it's a cakewalk. Yeah, you've already done it. Yeah. Yep. I've already seen it. I've already felt it. And, and like you said, you know, there's times that they're animals. We're humans. We're riding horses. Like, there's elements that are going to come into play where it's not always going to work out like we want it to. But if you're prepared, it's dang sure going to happen a lot more often. Oh, yeah. See, that's, uh, even when it comes to parents, it's, it's what you focus on is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you tell your, you know, your kid running in and it goes, okay, don't fall down this time. And they just put that dog in their head. Most likely, they're going to have to be thinking about falling down and not move their feet and, and fall. Right. But if you're like, you know, if you give them something else to focus on, like really focus on that point when you get to him. And they're not thinking about the get off. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, positive wise, even if it is just subtle, whatever, something small like that, you know, don't miss. And yeah, nobody wants to miss. But if you focus on don't missing, that's probably what's going to happen. Right. But like you said, mentally, if you're. Yeah, I already know when they're roping. It's just how deep am I going to rope them in the breakaway and and get my horse to stop that much faster? You're focusing on the catch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I know when I rope the bale and stuff at home, just out in the yard and whatnot. You know, you can you can pick a, a small piece of hay that is standing up, and you can make your rope hit that one strand, whether it's deep, whether it's shallow, whether you know. However you want to control your rope, you can do that if you stay completely focused and you have that positive thought that I'm going to rope that piece of hay right there. Like my rope is going to come around and I'm going to hit that. And I think if you can stay focused on those kinds of things and and get rid of the other elements that you can't control and just focus on what you can do, then that's what makes winners. Well, even even back to to that, what you can't control and stuff, but if you're anyone mentally have a good run and you get a bad flag you know you can't control that but you wrote the three second breakaway cast and it might have been end up being like four one but it could have been if you were you know not a very good loop and all that stuff ended up being like a six and you wouldn't even place mm-hmm. so in a sense you're still helping out your flag your everything when you're making consistent runs the same right. way even though that's something you really can't control Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a faster flag because it is so perfect. Yeah. Do you have any, like, rituals that you do before you compete? You know, some people have specific things that they go through every time. I'm not stretching and everything. Music's a big thing for me. Gets you in the mood. Yeah. yeah. Depends on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. If it's roughly like, like an average deal, like it's just, like, just good feeling music. Yeah. Like a rock and stay wrestling, like a metal, and, and uh, like just get pumped up. And, uh, I, I, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. Uh huh. Like, <laughs> you know, so like, I like my adrenaline kicking when I'm back in the box and stay wrestling. Yeah. If it's an average deal, it's more of like, like just chill, good beat kind of deal. Consistent. Music's, yeah. Music's, music's big for me for that. Even when I'm at the gym. I have different playlists for cardio, for weightlifting, you know, depending on the day and what I'm lifting, mental space. I was training for a a half marathon, and I'm still in the process of it. I just have a minor injury that I have to get over before I can start running again. But it's amazing how, you know, you listen to, when you're trying to run long distances, for me at least, you know, you start out with something that's going to at least get you going for the first mile. And then you're just, usually I'll yeah. listen to a podcast in the middle of it and just yeah, be like, you absolutely. know, just something to listen to, to keep me moving forward. Like it's usually a, a motivational podcast of some sort. And then by the end of it, I'm like, when I'm starting to get tired, if I can just switch that music up to something that is, you know, more intense and faster and then yep. you just can power through so much better. Absolutely. Well, yeah. it's like, I was talking to my friend the other day about it because he's a horse trainer and we were talking about um, podcasts and I listened to a lot of the same business and mental podcasts and 
draw everything straight to the leather. So like the rope cans, I'll just cut out the leather and I've got these pencils that I can just get down and everything's just unique, you know, like I draw it straight to it. Mm -hmm. It might be, I might be influenced by gangster rap or whatever's going on or metal or old country, you know, whatever I'm playing that day. I think it influences me on my design. Yeah. And then I get the lines, lines and everything cut in, and then it's kind of mindless. And I can sit there and bevel all the edges and start tooling everything while I turn on a podcast. And I can, it's almost like having a conversation, listening to somebody, and I can do the mindless stuff, you know, like you're saying, running. Mm-hmm. To a podcast, you just go. When I'm in design mode or whatever, I kind of have to think. Like, it's just music, and it helps me. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I'm the same way. I do, I make, take a lot of my own pictures and then create my own, um, catalogs and stuff like that so you know once once you get the picture taken and edited to a certain to a certain point like then it's just kind of mindless like you said and you can learn a lot while you're working if you're putting yourself in the right position to do it yeah and i listen to a lot of audiobooks that way too yeah audiobooks are definitely definitely helpful i try to read i audio books i struggle with sometimes because they get kind of monotonous to me like listening yeah. to the same tone all the time but the, right. the the podcast and then i do i love a paperback book like just to sit down yeah. and be able to underline it and i'm not very good at sharing my books either i've learned that about myself i'm all about yeah. telling you what book to read and suggesting it to you but i want to keep my books <laughs> i agree like i over the last four years because I hated reading like if I'm doing something with my hands then I'm good mm-hmm. no matter what it is even if we're sitting watching a movie with my boys and my wife like I'm braiding something or drawing or like I gotta be doing something with right. my hands so I focus better that way so I'll have my wife read to me almost the same way that way and so and I'm like I really need to sit down so over the last two years I've like tried to make myself appreciate a hard back book mm-hmm. and so i'm actually in a challenge right now so i have to read at least 10 pages a day yeah any book I want. yeah and do this for 75 days well, that sounds fairly simple yeah and then you have to have to, you do two workouts a day and you have to stick to a diet and drink a full gallon of water wow that's intense yeah so for 75 days straight so i'm yeah. in the middle of it now but the mental clarity I've gotten from, like, having to do it, you know, because I could be like, oh, I'm too full after dinner or mm-hmm. whatever, but going out and I go walk two miles every night before bed, and then I go at five and do my training. And it's the things that have come to me, like, mentally on my walks have been insane. That's really yeah. cool. I don't work out to that extent, but I have definitely gotten into it way more over the last couple years I think I've got a couple of my own businesses now and the more you listen to podcasts and successful people and you know they do what you're doing they do those challenges they stick to them they read they drink water like and it's you know they're successful for a reason and so I'm dang sure gonna try to you know mimic some of those things you know at least yeah well and the exercise is the mental clarity Mm-hmm. You think about the food and the stuff that you put in your body, and yeah, it clogs up your mind or foggy, you know, makes you a little foggy, like after drinking or even for a couple of days of eating horrible. That on, on a rodeo weekend, you know, you just eat junk. Mm-hmm. And then come back and then try to eat clean at home and stuff. There's a, like Mondays have always been a struggle for me. Sunday and Monday getting home from the rodeo, like, I'm like I just not in, in my head doing this challenge is like you know stay stay eating clean and then it's almost like you push push this everything out of your head and you're more mentally focused mm-hmm. i go to the gym five come home and accomplish more more by nine or ten than i do all day if i don't go right yeah i agree with that and i think too when it comes to eating once you get to where you eat healthier on a regular basis and it becomes your norm. You get to where, like, I used to not mind fried food. I, I've never been a big fried food eater. And now I don't I don't even want it. Like, I might have one thing here or there if somebody else has something, like a French fry. Like, I'll eat a French fry. But your body just, like, rejects it almost. So three years ago, I was totally the opposite. I was actually 
160 pounds heavier than I am now. Wow. And the heart doctor told me, you got to do something. And I went home with my wife and I made a plan and really realized what we were eating. Like, my drug of choice, if you want to call it that, was Mountain Dew. I drank it consistently. Mm-hmm. Like, from 7 o'clock till 11 o'clock at night, I would have, like, 44 ounces and eat all the fried food and eat all my food plus my boys if they didn't clean it up, you know. Mm-hmm. I, really, I really had to take a look back and, like, where I was mentally, physically, even my relationships with my boys and my wife, everything has changed when I decided no more. So That's it's like, awesome. I know, like, I had to do it in a sense, but then I took it literally. Mm-hmm. And I try to, to stay with it, and it's a struggle. Yeah. That's really cool, though. That's that's awesome that you had the willpower to, to do it because that's not easy at all. Yeah. Well, my wife, she just, she, like, she doesn't want to do the walks and stuff with me. She works and she wants to spend time with the boys when she gets home. But, like, right before bed, she's like, you going on your walk? And, but, you know, I'll be thinking, oh, I don't want to. I'm sore. I'm tired. I got more work to do. But I'll take that 45 minutes or an hour and go. And she, and she helps push me. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, are you, are you not going to finish your challenge? Because our house is very competitive. Yeah. <laughs> with, with three boys, and she played volleyball and, and softball. And I played football and rodeo. Like, everything is a competition at our house. Yeah. She knows, how, she knows how to motivate me. That's good. That's what wives are supposed to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. I've seen some of your stuff on Facebook. It pops up every now and then, and it... It seems like you two have a just. I mean, this is from an out, completely outside point of view. You know, I've met you one time and never met your yeah. wife, but you can tell that that you guys have a good good relationship and have a lot of respect for each other. The first year, and then we had a little come to Jesus meeting. Decided it was her and I, or nothing. You know, it's like that first year of marriage is always hard. Mm-hmm. But we decided that, and nothing's held us back since. That's awesome. That's great. Well, do you have any any advice that you would give to um, either a kid or somebody that's just just any piece of advice that you'd like to give them? Just in general yeah. or specific. It can be whatever. Probably the best. Don't be afraid to fail. Doesn't matter what you're doing. It's, it's chalked up as a learning experience. My favorite quote from my grandpa growing up was, if it's to be, it's up to me. I like that and, one. And you look at it in anything. And I, I have actually tooled it in some leather and have it sitting here in my shop over my desk. Mm-hmm. If I want to make it happen, I got to make it happen. Doesn't yes. matter what it is. Yep, I think that's that's 100% true in, in anything you do. You know, there's... Definitely things that you can do to make it easier and people that you can reach out to, but you have to be the one to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you do got to contact those people or go practice with this guy that's going to help you improve. And it might be scary to ask, you know, somebody to help you out or it might even cost you some money. Mm-hmm. But if you, that's where you want to be, you got to do it. You figure it out. Yeah. And doors will open once you start. You know, people are way more friendly than what we think yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, we, we get a pre pre thing in our head that these people these people don't talk to anybody or they don't want to help or whatever, and that's not the case. They might just be shy. Yeah, yep, they might yeah. be shy or they might not be talking to people because they're focused, and that's why they're the ones that you want to go learn from. Yeah, and that's exactly what my wife tells me about me because you know, I'm a big guy with a big beard and stuff, and We'll go to church and the the adults and everything, you know, watch me. But the little kids are fascinated with me. Yeah. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing, you know. It's like like a little baby can sit there and just stare at me and play with me on the pew or whatever. Even like a baseball team, like the kids will talk to me and stuff. But and and adults already have a pretty thing in their head that oh he's just he's just a mean guy or big guy scary guy kind of thing yeah preconceived notion i can watch people you know yeah that's funny (laughs) it's like i would tell you anything like especially at the rodeos like it's my thing you know so some of the kids 
I'll tell them, like, just do this next time or something. And then we become great friends, and they love to show me their runs mm-hmm. from other wheels and, you know, like that kind of thing. So it's one of those things, just just ask. Just, I mean, what's the worst thing you can say? No. Exactly. Then you're already right back to where you were. So what, what difference does it make? Yeah. And, you know, the the sooner you start asking, the better off you'll be because as soon as you do it, it's going to get easier. And yep. it, it is scary at first, but it's worth it. Yeah, and it becomes a skill. Yes, it does. That's one thing that I've really had to work on. I had a one of my best friends. It seemed like in college that she just got so many things. Like, everything just worked for her. It just worked all the time. Like, people always helped her, and it just was like, how is this? How come she always has help? We'll say, well, it's because she always asked. She just, she asked people for help and it was easy for her to ask. And I've always, it's been hard for me and as a business owner, and I really had to get better about putting myself in situations where you just go out and eat lunch by yourself and then talk to the person sitting next to you because you don't, you just don't know what, what they might have to offer or what you might have to offer them. Yeah. Simple things like that, because I I was really really shy. Like I didn't talk to anybody for a long time, and then I had a head injury six years ago. And my wife says I talk more now and to people than that. And that's and honestly, it's helped me in my business in everything that I've done. Mm-hmm. Is I don't know if I just needed the knock on the head or whatever it was, <laughs> but it's not me. Like, open up to people, even show my work, and, like, even if we go to the restaurant, my favorite thing to do is just catch the waitress off guard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they always walk up and be like, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm starving. Well, everybody just says, good, how are you? You know? Yeah. I'm like, I'm starving, and I'm thirsty, and they always catch them off guard, and they laugh, and we have a great time with her. Yeah. But it's just being saying something different than the norm. Yep. That's perfect. Like, you know, it's just... Just step, and then it becomes, like I said, it becomes a skill because then you tell, talk to more people and you read people and that kind of thing. And it, it just makes life more fun, you know. It, it makes other people's day better and it makes your day better. And, and at the end, you realize that all those things that are going on in your head that you think people are thinking. I, I read this book one time. My mom made all of her kids. She's got five kids. And she gave us all the book called You Can Be Happy No Matter What is what it's called. Okay. And at different times in our lives, you know, you read that book or you reference that book. And one of the things that I read in there that really stuck with me is that 90% of the time, what you think people are thinking is not what they're thinking. They're not thinking it at all. They're probably not even thinking about you, you know, because we all have our own lives and things going on. And you you probably are going to catch people off guard more often than not because they're not thinking anything about about what you think they are. Absolutely. What was the name I'm going to write down for my voice? You can be happy no matter what. And I can't remember who wrote it, but it's, I mean, there's only one of them. And I've bought it for friends before, too. It's its a book that's maybe a little bit over your boys' head at this point in time. Um, yeah. But, like, I think I read it when I was either a junior or a senior in high school is when she gave it to me. And, and it was at a time that I was pretty stressed and you know I was worried about what everybody thought and sports and FFA and rodeo and just trying to balance so many things and and that was one of the books that really was like okay I'm making this all way worse than what it needs to be this is not that difficult are there any books that you recommend like any favorite books that you have I've got your um show your work written down yeah the the other one he wrote that I read before that one was still like an artist that, and it's the same guy but he talks about taking aspects from everybody um, and making your own style no matter what you're doing if you're a writer a roper he, and like he quotes Jay-Z in there where they didn't grow up with father figures in the house mm-hmm. they got all they got all their characteristics from TV or hmm. music like those kind of people you, like you think about many kids watch John Wayne that mm-hmm. didn't have that and it takes you know characteristics from him into their own life just watching him yeah it's made me really think like wow I'll have to add that one to my reading list that sounds pretty interesting 
Yeah, it's, and it's a super simple read. Like somebody likes to read, like you might read it in a day. Yeah. But, like the concepts are, are awesome. I like books like that. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me yeah. feel like I'm really getting somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> um, what kind of what podcast do you listen to? The main one I listen to is uh, the MFCO project. I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> I just had this vibe that that's what it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was right after my head injury. And I was working in a warehouse. Uh huh. Like I just came across it. It was actually like the first one they put out. A couple of days later, I came across it, and, and it's. It's honestly changed everything I've done. Yeah, I listen to that one sometimes. Probably not the most kid-appropriate podcast. No, no, um, not at all. But it does, you know, for adults who are, you know, trying to get ahead in life, I definitely think it's a good one for that. Yeah. And it and puts... You got to have thick skin because my mom's tried to listen to it while we're driving stuff. She's like, you got to turn it off. <laughs> yeah. I can believe that. It's definitely not for everybody. But, I mean, it's to the point, and it's going to put you in your place. Like, it's going to yeah, be a reality yeah. check for sure. How I, how I am, you know. Like, just tell me straight and hard, and then we'll figure it out. There's been times where I'm like, man, like, I don't even want to listen to this anymore because I know he's right. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, now, I'm not, now I just want to go fix it, and I, I don't want to listen to another one for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, yep. The other one that's really good that I've, I've enjoyed actually is uh, the Heavy D podcast. Heavy D? Yeah, so the, you've seen, have you seen the show Diesel Brothers? I haven't. I don't really watch television much. So they're based in Utah and they build these diesel trucks and they've got a Discovery Channel show and all this. And the guy started a podcast and they talk about everything. Hmm. Mental mental toughness like I mean life in general and they even has one guy that works for him that's totally in the stones you know like how the crystals give off energy yeah this and that like they talked all about that and like why would you do this and he just got some really like outside the box stuff they, they're like oh and he calls it the checklist so they give you a couple things to try that week or tweak this way or yeah it, it's kind of good just on yeah, I'm being intera- interactive too, it sounds like. Yeah, because I'm very hands-on. Like, tell me something I might try it or whatever. At least think the concept's good or yeah. something Well, that's awesome. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share today? What is your um, social media, your Facebook, Instagram, and anything else you have? So my wide-open customs is like strictly my leather company. And it's Wide Open Customs, and that's it, on Facebook. And then on Instagram, it's Wide Open Customs 13. And then my, my website is W.O. Customs. W.O. Customs. And do you do awards? Yeah, I've done a lot of Awards and trophy stuff, so that could be something somebody could call you. I saw some of those um, shafts that you had made for, were those cutting awards? Um, they were all around awards. Oh. For, for, yeah. Yeah, those were pretty cool. I hadn't seen those as awards before which i'm not usually in that that part of the world so that's probably why but it was neat yeah i've done um the last four rodeos for them they've given away a pair of all-around shops each day for those that's super cool and those come in handy thank you yeah that was kind of fun i did um bronchopters for a bull riding fraternity yeah hang it on the and I tooled their logo and everything in the nose then. Uh-huh. You know, like, just looking at cool bronchalter like they have in the South Point. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny that I was doing bronchalters for bull riders. Yeah, that's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. a different way yeah. to do it, but, I mean, I've got some bronchalters that they give away as barrel racing prizes, which yeah. I don't use them on a horse because I need to have a little more leverage on most of mine than... Right. Than a big old soft bronc halter, but they do make really cool decorations. All right, sounds great. Well, thank you very much, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. A 
huge thanks to Cody Jacobs from Wide Open Customs for taking the time to share his insight from multiple perspectives with us today. He was full of knowledge and like he said, just don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, go after what you believe in and know the rules, take the time to study, create plans and and work through things and, and do the hard work that it takes to get where you want to go. And if you're going to be in it, be all in. Go on over and follow his Facebook page at Wide Open Customs. Also follow him on Instagram, Wide Open Customs 13, and visit his website, wocustoms.com, to see all the awesome work he does. And if there's something you like or need something created, give him a call. Thanks again, Cody, and we hope everybody has a great day and safe travels hauling up and down the road.